You're listening to Matt Loves Cameras. I never wanted to go to the Isle of Wight. I didn't have anything against the place per se, but we didn't have the time nor money to do the trip I had planned. So this is where we ended up for a family holiday last September during our last week overseas. In the end, I didn't mind going. Let's face it, it was the Isle of Wight or another week in Wolverhampton. What I found when I got there stunned me. Narrow country lanes, picture postcard villages, deserted coastal paths, decrepit seaside piers, ancient castles, chairlifts, steam trains, amusement arcades, beautiful gardens, cream teas. This was the England of yesteryear. I bloody loved it. When I got back to Australia, I had my film developed and scanned. When I saw the results, I knew this was the opportunity I had been waiting for, and I put together my first film photography zine every summer. Keep listening and find out more about our time on the Isle of Wight and how you can get your own copy of Every Summer. I'm Matt Murray, and this is Matt Loves Cameras. Film cameras. Instant cameras. And everything analogue photography related. friends how are you i hope you are well wherever you are all around the world welcome to another episode of matt loves cameras in today's show i have the fifth and final part of the travel log of last year's overseas holiday so last year my family and i we spent one month overseas we journeyed back to england where my wife's from because my sister-in-law was getting married in Shropshire. So yeah, most of the parts of this travelogue have already been published on Matt Loves Cameras. So going back to episode 19, Hong Kong with the RF-70 and a fistful of point-and-shoots. Episode 20, Mountains, Lakes, Cheese and Chocolate, Adventures in Switzerland. Episode 21, Shropshire, how wonderful, shooting film in England. And episode 22, when Matt McGraham shooting Sunny 16 style in Oxfordshire. This is the fifth and final part of the travelogue. Every summer, shooting film on the Isle of Wight. Now you may be thinking, hang on, why have you published all those other episodes and you've waited till... April 2020 before you've published this fifth part and the answer is because when I got back to Australia with all of my films from the Isle of Wight I sent them off to get dev and scanned so on the Isle of Wight uh, along with my Mint RF70 which shoots Instax wide film I was shooting with six 35mm compact cameras so I was shooting with the Fujifilm Class S which you can find out about in an earlier episode of Matt Loves Cameras I was shooting a mixture of Porsche 400 and Kodak Ektachrome 100 with that. I was shooting with the Voigtlander Vito C, also a past episode of Matt Loves Cameras, a tiny little camera that looks like a Minox, and I was shooting Kodak Ektar on that one. The Olympus LT1, again, a former episode of Matt Loves Cameras. I was shooting uh, Kodak Gold 200 with the Olympus 2 LT1 as part of the Frugal Film Project in 2019, so I had that with me. I also had the Disdairy Robot, which I've spoken about in previous Travelog episodes, a plastic camera with three lenses, one aperture, one shutter speed, and I was shooting 
Kodak Pro Image 100 on that. I was shooting with the Olympus XA, which I've spoken about on the show before. And with the XA, I was had a roll of Portrait 400 in there, but I set the ISO speed selector to 200 just to give the film uh, an extra stop of light and a bit of extra punch to the colors. And the last camera that I was shooting with was my beloved Canon Prima AS1, which was the subject of episode 30 of Matt Loves Cameras. It's that white, red and black underwater camera. And I put a roll of Fujifilm Natura 1600 in that bad boy. And so these are the six cameras that I was shooting with on the Isle of Wight. Now, when I got the scans back from the lab, I was kind of amazed at some of the images that I saw. Of course, the Isle of Wight is a, a magical place. It's a very beautiful place. It has some really cool natural attractions, the coastline and the sea. And there's also really cool tourist attractions there as well, like um, piers and castles and all sorts of things. So when I saw these images back, I was kind of wowed by them uh, and I really fell in love with them. And I thought, right, this is a perfect perfect opportunity for me to create my first film photography zine with photography that I took on the Isle of Wight during this week that we spent there. Now, when I was a kid, uh, I grew up in Australia, born in Australia, grew up in Australia. I kind of had uh, a fascination with overseas countries and faraway lands. For example, by the time I was six, I pretty much could recognize every flag there was to recognize. I could recite the 50 United States. Um, I had a very good knowledge of England when I was a kid uh, from watching TV shows. You know, I love Faulty Towers and the goodies. Uh, Are You Being Served? All those old classic programs. So I guess I built up in my mind images of what these places looked like from, from this popular culture that I was consuming as a, as a kid growing up. And of course, uh, with England, that was no different. I had all these images in my mind of what England was like. Then I lived in England for 12 years uh, later on, and then I moved back to Australia 10 years ago. But I still have all these images in my mind of England, what England's like, you know, and, and a lot of them are kind of stereotypical or they're kind of nostalgic or idyllic kind of images of England. And really, this is what this book's about. It's, it's about my relationship with England and all of these kind of of idyllic images of England that I, I, I photographed when I was on the Isle of Wight. So uh, that's really what the book's about, my relationship with England and how I sort of picture England in my mind, uh, even though it's not always necessarily what England is exactly about. It's just, I guess, being living away from there for 10 years now, this is what I feel about when I think of England. And I've I shot the images really with a very kind of travel photography kind of style because that's um, really the first kind of style of photography I grew to love. Travel was always my first love, not photography. I actually got into photography because I started traveling. And so all the images that I was exposed to as someone who was traveling were tourist brochures and lonely planet guides. So that's the kind of photography that I first grew to love. That's the kind of photography where it all started for me, you know, flipping over that those lonely planet guidebooks and seeing images uh, taken of all these amazing places and of, of course, tourist brochures as well. And that's the thing about these images. They were all in color. And they, they presented the viewer with a scene that they could stumble across themselves. So that's what I've tried to do with my images, you know, either consciously or subconsciously. I've tried to present the viewer 
with a, a scene that if they go to the Isle of Wight, they could see the same thing. But of course, I've been very careful with my composition, trying to declutter what I see through the frame of my point and shoots. Now, point and shoots get a lot of stick, I think, in the photography world. A lot of people look down on point and shoots. They don't think point and shoots are very good. They never recommend a point and shoot to a beginner, even though a lot of people coming into film photography want a point and shoot. They always try and steer them towards a, a manual, fully manual SLR and all that kind of stuff. And I get the uh, reasons for that. I, I understand the reasons for that. But to me, a point and shoot, you know, there's no reason to look down on point and shoots. If you can take good images with a point and shoot in my book, you're a very good photographer because a lot of the, the choices are not in your hands, okay? Unless you're shooting with something like the Fujifilm Class S and you can choose the aperture, um, a lot of the choices are just not in your hands when you shoot with the point and shoot. So for example, if you're shooting with a, a point and shoot like the Olympus LT1, where you don't control the aperture or the shutter speed, you're pretty much just composing the image. Now, when you compose the image, you can't choose you know, to shoot wide open and blur the background. You've got to shoot that image to make sure there's no distracting background or clutter in the background or stuff like that you know you've got to be very careful the way you compose when you can't control aperture so I think shooting with a point and shoot is a really good exercise if you're not used to one now take another kind of point and shoot the very cheap plastic point and shoots such as the Desdere robot which I photographed uh, with uh, in this book now that has a set aperture and a set shutter speed I think it's from memory it's f8 and 1 100th of a second so it takes every photo at that aperture and that shutter speed. So it's kind of a bit of a challenge, really. You know, when you go out to this dairy robot, quite often I'll do a light meter reading with my iPhone and I'll just check that I've got enough light to shoot with it. And if it, I've got one or two stops of extra light, that's fine. But I always check to make sure that it's not going to underexpose the image. But that's a really interesting exercise as well because you're shooting with a camera where you can't change, you know the shutter speed, you know the aperture, but you can't change them. And um, I think that's a fascinating exercise for a photographer as well. So other cameras that have similar sort of features you know the, the Vivitar ultra wide and slim that has a set aperture and a set shutter speed so shooting with these kind of cameras I think it can actually make you a better photographer and I think if you can take good images on a point and shoot I think you're you're actually a really good photographer so I'm not sure why a lot of people do look down on them Wow, that was a long intro. Just a quick recap. I'm Matt Murray. I'm a photographer and camera enthusiast from sunny Brisbane in Australia. This podcast is all about analog photography. In many episodes of the podcast, I review a different film or instant camera, telling you about its history, its features, what it's like to use, and what kind of photos you can expect from it. In today's episode, episode 31 of Matt Loves Cameras, I have the fifth and final part of our overseas travelogue for you every summer shooting film on the Isle of Wight. All of the photos I talk about today and all of the adventures are detailed in my first film photography zine called Every Summer, which you can buy on my website, mattlovescameras.com. Stay tuned for further details about the zine later on. 
So the final part of our overseas adventure last year was when we spent a week on the Isle of Wight. So in and around the wedding, we spent a couple of weeks in Shropshire, seeing all the family, doing a bit of shopping, uh, having a bit of a chillax, all that kind of stuff. And then we headed down 7am one morning, we packed up our stuff, we said goodbye to everyone, and we got on the road and headed towards the south coast of England. Now, the only way that we could get the kids in the car at 7am was to bribe them the old parental crutch bribery. And so we uh, we told the kids that if they got in the car at seven, everything packed, we would buy them McDonald's breakfast. So about half an hour down the road, uh, we journeyed off from Telford and uh, about half an hour down the road is a town called Kidderminster in Worcestershire. And there's a roundabout on the outskirts of town there with the McDonald's. And it was, um, it was a really strange feeling because years and years ago, my wife and I, before we had kids, before we were married, we, we had a motorhome. And we used to set off on motorhome adventures around the UK and around Europe. And we actually spent six months in that motorhome uh, where we conceived our daughter, need I add. Um, Anyway, um, it just reminded me all of a sudden, you know, we were back at the same McDonald's all these years later with these two children in tow. So it's a really weird feeling. So we stocked up with all healthy McDonald's breakfasts and off we set. The kids were happy. They got their, their bribe. And off we went. And we sort of went along a series of A roads, you know, two or three lane A roads. And eventually we got to the M5, which is the big motorway heading south. And I felt a bit relieved when we got to the motorway because we had to get to Portsmouth. I think it was like by 12 o'clock. We had to get the 12 o'clock ferry because we had a booking. And uh, so I was brilliant. I can put the foot to the accelerator now and get down to Portsmouth in no time. And no sooner than we were on the M5, a little voice piped up from the back. Dad, I feel sick. And uh, it was my son up to his old tricks again. Now, if you listen to the episode on Switzerland, you may recall that upon arrival, upon upon landing in the plane at Zurich Airport, my son was throwing up into two or three different sick bags uh, upon arrival. And um, he wasn't very popular with the other passengers as the as the as the plane hit the tarmac at Zurich Airport. It was both the the sound and the, the smell of, of what he was doing that wasn't too good. And um, yeah, a similar sort of thing happened this time. You know, the sound and the smell of him being sick. It, it, after everyone had just had breakfast. It was not very nice at all. So I'm hurtling along the M5 southbound at 70 mile an hour and I'm all of a sudden there's pandemonium in the car and I have to try and somehow handle the situation. And I saw there was an exit a few miles ahead for uh, services. So I said, look, you're just going to have to hang on. Uh, we, we had bags in the back, plastic bags and stuff. But I said, mate, you're just going to have to hang on until I get off the motorway here. And so a few miles later, very nervously, we, we got off the motorway and uh, the situation was contained and uh, we disposed of the bags and we headed off again uh, towards Portsmouth on the south coast. The rest of the journey down was not very eventful, thankfully. Uh, I think we might have stopped for a coffee on the way down, but that was about the only other thing that happened. And when we got to Portsmouth, we got to the ferry terminal over to the Isle of Wight. Uh, we got onto the ferry and we met up with Karen, my mother-in-law, and her partner Richard. And they were coming with us to the Isle of Wight and they went in their own car. So we met up on the ferry and uh, we had a nice little journey across. It was a beautiful sunny day, very late August 2019. And when we got to the other side, uh, because our cars were on different decks, we just said, right, we'll just see you at the um, the holiday park, the caravan park where we're staying. We later found out that Karen and Richard went along the main roads to the holiday park. But we fired up my iPhone and Google Maps. 
was taking us along the slow roads, like basically cutting straight across the island on these tiny little roads. So this was my introduction to the Isle of Wight, getting off the ferry and traveling down these single lane roads where you could you could not get two cars past each other in most of the places. So if you come head on with another car, you'd have to pull over into a, you know, a lay-by, they call it, or you'd have to reverse up the road so someone could get by. Uh, so it was very slow going. Uh, it wasn't actually very far from the ferry to the caravan park, maybe 20, 25 minutes, but uh, it seemed to take about an hour. So eventually we got to the caravan park and uh, I wasn't very impressed. The car park was almost completely full. I think there was only one space right at the back where we could park. And we had to then lug all of our stuff about 200 meters or 220 yards across the car park through the caravan park to this caravan that we were staying at. And bearing in mind all these cameras that I bought, all the luggage we had, we had wedding outfits, we had all sorts of stuff. We had so many bags. Uh, I didn't want to leave anything in the car in case it got stolen. So I went back and forth in the sunshine, feeling very grumpy uh, about the whole situation. I must admit, I wasn't very enthusiastic about staying in the caravan. Now, don't get me wrong. I've stayed in some crappy places, my friends, over the years. I used to work for the Youth Hostels Association in Scotland and here in Australia. I've stayed in some pretty basic youth hostels. I've also stayed in some pretty dodgy hotels. I remember one near the Gare du Nord in Paris. It was a grubby room. It was a hot summer night and it was just a room. There was no, there was no window and there was just a ceiling fan pushing around the hot air in the room. It was horrible. I remember another dodgy place I stayed at. Uh, it was actually a youth hostel in Zamosk in Poland. So this guy I met on the train, a German guy, we got off the train and went to the hostel together. We left our stuff there for the afternoon while we had a look around and had a beer in the main square. I had my camera with me. It was a Pentax Zoom 90WR camera. And my friend, he left a camera that his mother gave him in the room. Now, I wasn't really into cameras that much in 1995, my friends. Uh, so I can't tell you what kind of camera it was. All that I know is it was quite expensive camera and had been passed to him from his mother. I think it might have been a Voigtlander. It might have even been a Leica. I'm not sure. But it was a lot more fancy than my Pentax point and shoot. And when we got back the camera was missing. Now in the room next door to ours, we had like a big dormitory. It was about 12, 15 beds. And there was only the two of us in that room and it was unlocked. Um, and the people in the room next door were a bunch of Ukrainians who were working in town. And my friend put up a sign, you know, reward for camera in German. And miraculously, a few hours later, there was a knock on the door and one of these gentlemen next door in the room had found the camera and claimed the reward of 100 Deutschmarks. Wow, wasn't that just fantastic luck that this guy found the camera? Um, so, you know, I've stayed in some pretty dodgy places, my friends. I don't mean to come across as some kind of snob, but I'm in my 40s now. And in my 40s, I, I like a bit of luxury, okay? So I, I wasn't that impressed with the caravan, to be honest. You're listening to Matt Loves Cameras. Now, the reason um, we had the caravan was pretty simple. When my wife was growing up, my wife's English, and she lived in the West Midlands around Wolverhampton. And every summer growing up, her family, her mum and dad and her two sisters, they'd get in the car and head down to the Isle of Wight where they would rent a, a static caravan in a holiday park 
on the Isle of Wight and they would spend the week, you know, doing all the touristy things, going to the beach, going to the pubs, uh, going to the amusement arcades. There's usually a lot of entertainment on at the holiday park. So the kids used to take part in the singing and dancing and, and quizzes and, and costume competitions every night. And so my wife had many, many happy memories of these caravan parks and she wanted our kids to sort of share in the joy of this experience. Also probably a factor for my wife was that her older sister, Rachel, passed away a couple of years ago. And so I, I think really my wife was kind of wanting to go back to the Isle of Wight to sort of chase memories of her older sister, who she absolutely adored. Uh, and that was a, a key part in her wanting to revisit the Isle of Wight. So um, we got our stuff in the caravan, had a look around. And then that night we actually went to the entertainment in the, the, the nearby sort of um, bar pub area. And, you know, there was a guy singing, he was pretty good, but then there was all these games taking place. And a lot of the kids there, I think this was just before school went back in the UK. I think it was the weekend before school went back. Um, so there wasn't many school-age children there. They were all younger children. And so they were playing all these really um, sort of, you know, little kiddie games. And of course, my kids at this stage were, you know, eight and 11, and, and they were not really very impressed by this at all. And they sort of turned to us and went, we are not joining in with that, Dad. Um, so they were not impressed with the holiday park entertainment so um one thing they were impressed with was the uh the games room now the star attraction at the games room for my children was the 2p nudger machine so this is a machine kind of made of a glass kind of ceiling to the machine and you look down into the machine and there are hundreds of 2p two pence copper coins okay and there's a tray that goes back and forth the whole time and the idea is that you put another 2p into the machine at the top of the machine and depending when you put the coin in it can nudge the, the coins from the top layer of the, the machine down to the bottom layer. And then from the bottom layer, they might go into the chute for you to pick up. So you're adding more coins to the machine with the hope that they're going to nudge everything down and you're going to win some coins. And scattered amongst the coins also are little toys, little games, um, like, I don't know, key rings and stuff like that. And there's also little tiny little sweets or lollies or candy bars. And, and what you end up doing with these machines is you end up spending £10 to get two tiny little Mars bars. So uh, it, it's just basically the challenge that we were playing for. It wasn't really a good um, value for money. So that was my introduction to the Isle of Wight. I wasn't terribly impressed at first, I must admit, but that quickly changed. So the nearest town nearby was a place called Shanklin. And uh, it always reminds me of lamb, you know, lamb shanks, lamb shanks. No, okay. Um, anyway, so I went to the town of Shanklin and um, it's kind of a sprawling little town. There's a main sort of town part and then there's an old town part. And the old town is sort of like little thatched cottages, you know, really old kind of English style thatched cottages. Uh, the kind of thing that you would have seen everywhere in the you know the 16th 17th centuries uh, so it's really quite amazing to see these kind of places they do, they do still exist in England there's not that many of them anymore but certainly older places like this they exist so there's a beautiful row in Shanklin of these uh, thatched thatched buildings there's one called the Crab Pub where we had a meal one night that was nice and there's also looking at the show notes for this episode there's also one called the Old Thatch Tea Rooms so that's the first image here in the show notes the old sorry the old thatched tea shop okay and it's a beautiful pink pale pink building with a nice thatched roof and some chimneys and uh, there's a beautiful blue sky with some wispy clouds behind it and I really like that image that features in the book every summer in fact all the images I talk about today feature in the zine 
So there we go. That is um, taken on the Fujifilm Class S with Kodak Portra 400. I had a few shots on the Roller Portra 400 uh, on the Isle of Wight, and then I switched over to Ektachrome. So you'll see some of the Ektachrome shots later on. Now that picture of the old thatch tea shop, that is very significant because that's where I had my first Isle of Wight cream tea. Now the cream tea, my friends, is an English culinary delight. That's the only thing I can say about it. I love cream teas. Cream teas are the best thing. So if you're not familiar with a cream tea, this is what you get. You go into a shop and, you know, there'd be a sign, a board up saying cream teas. And um, so you'll get a, either a pot of tea or if you're a little bit more different in your taste, you can actually ask for a coffee with it. And you get a scone or a scone, depending on how you pronounce it. You get strawberry jam usually, and you get clotted cream. So what is clotted cream, my friends? It's cream. It's like a gooey kind of cream, uh, and it's got a crust on top. Um, so some people see it and kind of freak out and say, what the hell's that? It looks like the cream's off, but it's not. Um, it's clotted cream. So it's really, yeah, got the crust on top, and you crack the crust, and you mix it all in, and there's these chunky bits of crust in the cream and it sounds absolutely disgusting but it's, it's really really nice so that is what a cream tea is and uh, over the course of the next week I was pretty much on a mission a one-man mission to find the best cream tea on the Isle of Wight and um, my wife continually kind of rolled her eyes every time I mentioned one and at the end of the holiday she said to me oh you've had about 10 cream teas this holiday and we actually worked it out we'd only had four much to my, my great disappointment and one of them wasn't very good one was like a budget cream tea so we, I won't, won't go back to that place ever again but all the rest were, were very nice cream teas. Yum. Now, the Sunday that we were on the Isle of Wight was actually the first Sunday in September. It was September the 1st, 2019. Now, the first Sunday in September is very significant because here in Australia, it is Father's Day. So um, we have, I don't know why we have Father's Day in September. A lot of other countries uh, celebrate it in June, but we're a bit different here in Australia. So even though we weren't at home, I decreed that it was still my day and that uh, we would do anything I said, pretty much. So uh, I <laughs> looked at the tourist map of the Isle of Wight with all these tourist places on museums castles all this kind of thing and I found a steam railway I was quite delighted I didn't really know much about the Isle of Wight so I was super happy that there was a steam railway as a kid, I was always interested in steam railways. And I think that began when my grandmother went overseas in 1980 and she came back to Australia and she brought a whole load of presents for me and my sister. And one of the things I remember saying to me was, Matthew, I was going to get you a, a Hornby railway set of the, of the Flying Scotsman steam train. And I'm, you know, as a little six-year-old boy, I'm like, oh, really, Grandma? Really? Really? And she said, oh, but I couldn't fit it in my bag, so I didn't buy it. Um, so I, I still remember the, the intense disappointment of that moment. I mean, she brought me back some lovely gifts, thank get me wrong but uh, I still remember that and I've kind of always you know dreamt of steam trains ever since um, so there you go so I, I decreed that we were going to the steam railway now when we arrived it was pretty busy it turns out they had a Morris car club rally on that day now, Morris, of course, is a very famous name in British automotive history. Of course, they had cars such as the Morris Oxford, the Morris Minor, the Morris Mini, the MG, a very, very famous name. I sort of thought to myself, you know, there's a Morris Car Club rally on the Isle of Wight. How many Morris cars could there possibly be on the Isle of Wight? Well, my friends, there were a lot more than I thought. There was probably 20 or 30 
easily. And then there was a whole load of other classic cars there. So that was really nice uh, to walk around and, and see all the cars. And then there was a falconry display. So they had a falcon fly around the crowd and do some cool sort of stuff. And uh, I actually was in a bit of a mischievous mood. And I actually played a practical joke on my mother-in-law because she is petrified of birds. She saw the Hitchcock film, The Birds, when she was much, much younger. And uh, she's always been scared of birds since. So uh, if you want to find out what the the joke I played on my mother-in-law, you'll have to buy a copy of Every Summer. Now, of course, while we're at the steam railway, we also had a nice little journey on the steam train. We got in a nice carriage and we went 20 minutes one direction and then turned around and came back. And after that, there was also a really cool uh, train museum, which was very nice. Now, the next image in the show notes was taken at the museum. And this image here is of a red railway wagon taken on my Olympus XA with Kodak Portrait 400. Now I set the ISO selector on the XA to 200 just to give it an extra stop of light and uh, give the colors a bit of extra punch. And uh, yeah, I really like this image. It features in the book. Now in the book, I've actually put it side by side with a green railway wagon just for a bit of contrast. But the one here in the show notes is the red railway wagon. You're listening to Matt Loves Cameras. We then headed off to the Needles on the far western edge of the Isle of Wight. Now, it was actually quite a warm day. It was quite sunny. I had a nice bottle of water because I always I always um, get dehydrated. But uh, true to form, the children stole my water. So by the time we got to the, the Needles, I was feeling super cranky. It was desperate need of a drink. And so we went to the ice cream stand and we got an ice cream and a drink and all that kind of stuff. And then uh, my mother-in-law said, oh, how about we all go get the chairlift down from the, the car park, you know, gift shop area down to the coast. And so, yeah, I was like, yeah, cool, definitely. So we all sort of lined up. Uh, I think her partner, Richard, walked. He wanted to save a few bobs, so he walked the whole way. And we all got into the, the chairlift queue. There was a bit of an argument between the kids over who wanted to sit next to mum. Poor old dad was the booby prize. But in the end, I managed to convince my son to come with me on the chairlift. So we got in the chairlift, and it sort of went up in the air. And we're sort of hovering, you know, over these trees, you know, gliding along over these trees. We're probably, I don't know, five or six metres, five or six yards in the air. And um, I was like, okay, yeah, I'm okay. I, I get a bit scared of heights, but at this stage I was fine. It's like, yep, if I fall from here, it's all good. I don't think I'll die if I fall from here. And then all of a sudden the trees thinned out and these rocks sort of appeared. And then all of a sudden the chairlift goes over the cliff edge kind of thing. I started to feel a little bit anxious then. And I sort of grabbed my little boy's shirt and he's like, dad, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, just grabbing your shirt in case you fall. And he's like, I'm not going to fall dad. And um, yeah, I was a little bit nervous though. So the next image here is of the needles chairlift. I did actually have a camera in my hand, despite the, the great, <laughs> great danger. I was in on the chairlift. I had a camera in my hand. And this is actually this is actually later on going back up the chairlift when I took this picture. So there you go. That's a needles chairlift. And you can see from the image there, like there's not much keeping you in. There's basically a bar keeping you in. Uh, and that's about it. Uh, and when your son's wriggling around in the chair next to you and he's quite small, you, you do get a little bit nervous about someone falling out the chairlift, but everyone survived. So that was good. Now the cliffs there, you can't really see that good a view of the cliffs. It just looks like, you know, a cliff. But the cliffs are actually famous 
at the needles for their multicolored sands. And there's some just some beautiful colors in those sands. There's yellow, white, orange, and sort of pinky colors, browns. So um, yeah, for, for many, many years, uh, people used to come to the, the cliffs and put um, sand in bottles and take that home as a souvenir. Now you can still do that in the gift shops, but I think it's, I don't think it's actually sand from the cliffs anymore. I think it's just colored sand. Um, so yeah, that was a, it was a great Victorian tradition, you know, from the, the 19th century to collect sand from the cliffs at the Isle of Wight. Now, when you get down the bottom of the cliffs, you can sort of just have a look at the tiny little beach there. It's, it's made of pebbles. It's not overly impressive uh, for swimming or anything, but the main attraction and the whole reason the place is called the Needles is because there are some chalk stacks in the water just off the coast. And so these are little you know, chalk stacks or sea stacks that stick out of the, uh, the sea and there's a lighthouse at the end of one of them. Now there's two different boat queues. There's a, a slow boat and there's a jet boat and you can line up, pay some money and they'll take you out to the Needles. It takes about five or 10 minutes and uh, they'll tell you about the history of the Needles and the lighthouse and all that kind of stuff. It's actually quite a fascinating place. It's where Marconi pioneered radio transmissions uh, in the early 20th century. Uh, the British tested space rockets at this site in the 1960s, and uh, now there's a gift shop and uh, a chairlift and a boat ride. <laughs> um, so there you go. Now, we actually got in the slow boat queue. The reason for that was quite simple. The jet boat looked very cool, but the jet boat queue was massive and I sort of observed it for a while and it wasn't moving. Uh, but there was two jet boats, but it was just so long, uh, it was taking forever. The slow boat could actually get a lot more people in by the look of it and it was a lot shorter the queue. So I said to the boy, I said, hey, do you want to go for a boat ride? And he said, yeah, okay, fine. He wasn't really too fussed, uh, but I convinced him to come with me. And then my daughter and my wife, I didn't think they wanted to come, but all of a sudden they jumped in the queue with us and they were coming on the boat ride as well. So we got in the boat and off we set. And I'm kind of thinking at the time, I don't know why they've come with me on this boat ride because really no one in my family appreciates scenery except for me. So I don't think they're going to be terribly impressed by the scenery of the needles and the lighthouse and the coast. Uh, but they came along. My wife sort of looked out the edge of the boat and listened to the, the tourist guide telling us about the history and she didn't look overly impressed. But, you know, she sort of feigned a bit of enthusiasm. So that was good. The kids, however, the kids spent the entire trip inside the cabin sulking because we didn't take the jet boat. Uh, and my daughter kept saying, the only reason I came is I thought we were going on a jet boat. Um, so yeah, I'm trying to take photos and enjoy myself. And uh, yeah, this is what I had to contend with. And I'm sure many, many parents could sympathize with that situation. Nevertheless, we had a nice little boat ride. And the next image there is again taken with the Voigtlander Vito C on Kodak Ektar. And it's an image of the jet boat pulsating its way through the sea there, going around the needles. So after the boat ride, we took the chairlift back up to the souvenir tourist area and everyone had great fun filling a bottle with different colored sands. We got some more drinks and some more ice creams and we decided to head back to the holiday park as we were all cream crackered. Now on the way back, I actually spied this little village called Freshwater and just outside Freshwater, there was this beautiful stretch of coastline. I was trying to drive and also look at the scenery, which is not a particularly clever thing to do. But I, I sort of made a mental note and said to myself, right, I need to look this up on a map and come back here. 
So we got back to the holiday park. Karen and Richard beat us back and they sort of made some dinner with some food that we had in the in the caravan. Um, but the wife, she really fancied some fish and chips, you know, an English delicacy. So I said, right, um, I'm going to go out and find you some fish and chips. So I got in the high car. It was probably, I don't know, seven or eight o'clock. It was still sunny, beautiful sunny day. And I headed down to a place called Sandown, which is the next village across from Shanklin. And uh, there was supposed to be a fish and chip shop there that was open. So I walked along the, the front of the boulevard or the esplanade or whatever it's called, looking for this fish and chip shop. I got there and it was closed. So I wasn't uh, particularly happy. So I was like, what am I going to do now? But then all of a sudden, I spied something very, very interesting. An authentic British seaside pier. Yes, it was Sandown Pier, a 19th century pier that had been improved, and I use the words improved in air quotes, in the 1970s and 80s. So it was a beautiful old wooden pier, and there was all these gaming machines, all these bright lights and noises ringing out. There was a sort of a smattering of people shuffling around the machines, putting coins in the machines. I was like, wow, this is really, really cool. In, in a really sort of daggy kind of retro way, I love this place. This is amazing. So I walked through all the gaming machines, past the little tiny bowling alley. I think it was like a two or three lane bowling alley and there was a tiny mini golf place. And I got out the back and um, there's all these 2P penny nudger machines as well, like dozens and dozens of them. And then you walk through a skinny section and you're actually on the original, you know, um, 19th century pier. And uh, this next image is a view of the pier at um, in the sunlight, very early September. So there's a nice image of the pier lit up there. You can see all the kind of some of the woodwork and some of the metalwork of the pier. And there's just a few rides there. So there's one called Jumpin' Star and there's one of some massive looking teapot or kettle or something and there's a there's a big ball ride there as well it's one of those rides where you jump inside the big bubble and you you go around on water and so that was taken on olympus lt1 which is a, a beautiful uh, a mu one wrapped in a leather jacket which you can find about in uh, in a previous episode of matt loves cameras and kodak gold 200 as well so of course that combination the olympus lt1 and kodak gold 200 that is a combination i was using for the frugal film project last year and that camera went with me everywhere so about an hour later, I got back to the caravan with the fish and chips. It was still warm, thankfully, when I got back. And I told my wife excitedly about this pier and how, you know, it was this cool old pier and there's all these game machines inside and there were dodgems and, you know, you had these, um, you know, those uh, photo cutouts where you put your head through and you take a photo. There's all all versions of those. And there were British seaside postcards, very saucy, very naughty kind of British seaside postcards. Uh, and you could put your head through and stuff like that. And so, I said to my wife, oh, we need to go back there with the kids. So the next night we actually went back there. We played the 2P nudging machines for ages. We got about 10 pounds of 2P coins and we all sort of had a go trying to win all the crappy prizes in the machines. And again, for 10 pounds, we probably um, won, you know, probably about two pounds back in coins. And we probably got about six small uh, little trinkets and toys from the machine. But the funny thing was this, there was all these sort of older people there, probably in their 60s and 70s playing the machines as well. And um, two or three, lots of them came over to us and just gave us little buckets of of toys so it was quite weird like they obviously weren't playing for the the, the prizes themselves they're just playing for a bit of fun and waste a bit of time maybe or, you know a bit of entertainment value and they they brought us all that their toys and said here you go you can have our toys uh so that was very nice of them 
but that was the clientele mostly there was a couple of families there and some older people sort of passing the time in this um, arcade in the pier so this is the next image in the show notes i call this one mirror mirror um, it's, it looks like there's a lady there on the far right and she's looking into, you know, like, almost like a mirror image maybe of herself when she was young. Although I think it's Alice in Wonderland actually, but I, I really like that image. It does look like she's staring into the, the image of Alice there and her husband or partner, I'm, I'm guessing, is standing there next to her. So I really like that image. That was taken on the Canon Prima AS1 with Fujifilm Natura 1600 film. Now, the only reason I was shooting this film w- with this camera was because... I took two or three rolls of Natura with me to Hong Kong and I meant to shoot them all in Hong Kong, go out at night and, and shoot them there. But because of all the, the situation with the the kind of the protests in Hong Kong, I didn't really shoot very much Natura at all. And I, I don't think I even loaded in the camera in Hong Kong just because it wasn't really um, that wise to go out at night very much. So I had the whole way through this holiday, I had these two or three rolls of Natura. So I just loaded it up in the Canon Prima AS1, which of course you can find out about in episode 30 of Matt cameras and because I had really good test rolls on with Kodak Gold 200 and Kodak Portra 160 with the Canon Prima I just put a roll of Natura in it and I started taking these images uh, at the seaside and I really really like this one. Now the next one is again of Sandown Pier this is an external uh, view of the pier and you can just see how long it is not the longest pier in the UK but it's, it's certainly longish and there's a nice sort of reflection there of the lights might be a bit of moonlight there in that reflection as well in the waves and you've got the nice lights off the pier, got the waves crashing in the foreground, and you've got three birds circling above just as the sun went to bed. So again, I really like that image as well, taken on Fujifilm Natura. You're listening to Matt Loves Cameras. So we did so many good things when we were on the Isle of Wight. We went to uh, Carisbrook Castle, which is like a 12th century castle. Just incredible. We went to Osborne House, which was like the summer retreat for Queen Victoria. Uh, And, you know, this is a a house, a big mansion that you can walk around where Queen Victoria lived in. Uh, You know, quite extraordinary, really. Um, We went to, where else did we go? We went to a model village with all little houses and stuff like that. Uh, We went to pubs. We went to the seaside. There's just so many cool places in the Isle of Wight. But of course, even though there are all these attractions, these tourist attractions, the natural beauty of the Isle of Wight is is quite amazing in itself. So one day we decided to head back to that village of freshwater that I was telling you about. And uh, we sort of went along the southern edge of the island of the Isle of Wight. And we stopped at a couple of places like Ventnor and stuff like that. And a couple of these villages you can actually look at to see and, and you can actually see France from the Isle of Wight. It's, it's not that far away, maybe 20 miles, I don't know. Um, but you can sort of see it in the distance, which is pretty cool. So we got down near Freshwater and I I just knew near Freshwater on the outskirts there was a car park and all of a sudden it appeared there and we pulled into this car park. It's kind of like white... Uh, dirt or white chalk um, sort of stone the the car park it's you know just natural it's not like paved or anything um, but it's kind of very weird because in Australia it would be sand or it would be dirt but here it was white and it's because I think it's because of the natural composition of of the the Isle of Wight you know there's all these chalk cliffs everywhere and um, you know the, this car park uh, was kind of made of this white chalky stone so we pulled in and all of a sudden 
this day, there was an ice cream van there. And um, I looked over, I got out of the car, looked over at this ice cream van. And it was just perfection. There was the, the white chalk of the car park. There was the orange and yellow vivid colors of the ice cream van. There was the blue sky in the background with white puffy clouds. There was like this golden and green sort of field in the background. And there was this um, sort of uh, a model ice cream, like a big, huge ice cream uh, um, there as well. So that was so cool. And uh, I walked over with a couple of my point and shoots and the ice cream man came over and we had a little chat and uh, I asked him about the van and he was telling me about that. And then I said, oh, you know, can I take some photos? And he said, yeah, yeah, sure. And um, so we, we had a bit of a chat and then something kind of very funny happened. He started talking to my wife. Um, I'm not going to tell you about this because it, it's a little story in the book, uh, but basically the ice cream man insulted me. He didn't mean to, I'm sure he didn't mean to, but he insulted me. Oh gosh. And uh, it was a bit embarrassing for me, but um, I write about it in the book because it's all in good fun and I'm sure he didn't mean to upset me he didn't really upset me but I'm sure he didn't mean to um to insult me but he did um but it was very it was very funny my wife thought it was absolutely hilarious um so I took a few photos of the van and I just love this one this one's called the ice cream van the Olympus LT1 with Kodak Gold 200 there again that I was shooting for the frugal the frugal film project and this is actually I believe this is Matthew Joseph's one of his favorite images I've taken um so there you go I know Matthew Joseph likes that image so after I took some photos, we bought my son an ice cream and uh, the ice cream man even said to my son, hey, pick up the model ice cream and have your picture with that. And I was a little bit nervous. <laughs> my son's a bit clumsy and I thought, oh no, like if he falls over and smashes this model ice cream, it's like, it's probably about like, um, I don't know, four or five feet high, this ice cream. Uh, but no, it was all fine. We had a picture with it and um, off we went. So we crossed the road, quite a busy road. And we went across to this beautiful kind of area in front of the cliff. And it's just all this grassland. And the grass was probably about knee high. And this is a coastal path. So people do a long distance walk, either for a day or a few days. And they walk along the coast uh, on this cliff edge. It's absolutely beautiful. So the next image I have here is an image of the coastal path taken on the Olympus XAE with Kodak Portra 400 rated at 200. Now, in my zine, every summer, there's actually two images side by side that I've taken in the same place. There's this one of the coastal path taken on the XA with Portra. And on the opposite page, there's one with the Olympus LT1 taken with Kodak Gold. And it's just amazing the difference in the scene. Two different cameras, two different films. You know, the, the, the XA is very cool sort of colors, very blue, cool colors. And of course the Kodak gold image is very warm. So it's, um, it's really worth having a look at, I think, just to see. It's a great exercise in how different camera choices and how different film choices render the same scene differently. So when we got to the edge of the cliff, I was really nervous. Again, you may remember from earlier this episode, heights are not really my thing. I kind of fascinated by heights and also terrified of heights. So um, my, my son and my wife, I think, had gone back to the car at this stage. They weren't that interested in the scenery. But my daughter came with me. And as we got near the edge, I decided to crawl over to the edge of the cliff with my Fujifilm class and uh, my Olympus LT1 in my hands. And my daughter sort of walked over with me and I, I kind of freaked out and I said, stay back, stay back you know, I don't want you near the edge. Um, I, I haven't looked after you all these years, my child, to see you fall into the English Channel and die a horrible death. And she kind of like rolled her eyes and said, Dad, I'm nowhere near the edge of the cliff. And I just said, stay back, stay back. You're not coming. And so I sort of um, went commando style on my belly towards the edge of the cliff. And I took some images 
And this is the next one is one of these images I took. So I call this one the sea stacks. So these are like chalk cliffs in the sea. And it was taken on the Olympus LT1 with Kodak Gold 200. And you can really see the yellow tones of the, of the Kodak Gold there with a the nice green of the vegetation and the sea. And uh, yeah, I really like this image. You can sort of see the cliff edge, you can see the waves, you can see the sea stacks, and you can see these beautiful chalk cliffs in the distance. So I really like that one. So after visiting the coastal path, we headed into freshwater. And in freshwater, my tourist map told me that there was a photography museum. I could not believe it. This place was perfect. Not only was there a steam railway and a chairlift, there was a photography museum. So what I found out was that there was a pioneer of photography who lived in the 19th century. Her name was Julia Margaret Cameron and she lived in Freshwater and she knew all these famous people. She knew, uh, you know, I think she knew Charles Darwin and all these people. It was crazy. The museum explained all about Julia Margaret Cameron's techniques, how she took her images. Uh, it was quite fascinating. I can't remember all the details right now, but I do remember that at the time, she was kind of looked down upon, you know, her, her work wasn't taken very seriously, even though she took some very famous images of very famous men and respected men at the time in Victorian society in England, uh, like Henry Taylor, Charles Darwin, Sir John Herschel. Um, you know, her work really was not taken seriously at all. She also took a lot of really beautiful soft focus portraits of women and children but again she wasn't really um, taken seriously for this until probably after her death so yeah it's, it's a very interesting um, tale really about Julia Margaret Cameron there was also some really interesting exhibitions in the house, along with all her images of her work and how she, she did her work, she created her work. There was also some uh, a couple of rooms dedicated to the Isle of Wight music festivals, which was quite fascinating. You know, I think Bob Dylan played one of them and I think Hendrix might have played one. And yeah, it was as, a, as someone who grew up in the 80s, it was really fascinating that a lot of these famous names had been on the island playing at music festivals. We also went to the cafe, of course, and uh, in the cafe, I think I had a cream tea. Um, I did the old trick again where I bought my son a chocolate milkshake because he wanted one. And then, of course, you probably remember from one of the earlier episodes of Matt Loves Cameras, every time I buy my son a chocolate milkshake and then his lunch turns up, he's too full and he doesn't want to eat his lunch. But I fell for it again at Dimbola. So Dimbola is the name of Julia Margaret Cameron's house and museum. So at the Dimbola Cafe, I fell for it again, the old chocolate milkshake trick. And um, the other fascinating thing about the cafe was there was all these uh, cameras in cabinets everywhere. So it was, it was like heaven for me. I was saying to my wife, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, there's a Pentax Auto 110 over there. I've got that one. Oh, there's, a, there's, a, there's an XA over there. I've got that one as well. And she was just like, oh, that's nice. Yeah, mm, that's beautiful. Great. I think she was um, losing interest very rapidly at my childlike excitement of all the cameras everywhere. There's also a bookstore and a gift shop. And in the gift shop, I spied two Olympus trips on sale. There was one with a red skin and one with a blue skin. So these had been restored by Tripman. I think his name is Tripman. He's an English Olympus trip restorer. And they both had a price on of £100, which I thought, oh man, like, you know, is that a little bit expensive? Um, but then I sort of thought, well you know, I'll think about buying one of these as a, a special souvenir of the Isle of Wight. And it's been, it's been restored. It's been reskinned. Um, the red flag works. So, you know, it's all in great working order. So I, I sort of had to think about whether I wanted to buy the Olympus trip. 
So we left Dimbola, the Julia Margaret Cameron House and Museum, and we headed back towards our holiday park. And probably only about 60 seconds after leaving Dimbola, I spotted a, a car park right on the water's edge in the village. And we hadn't actually stopped at this part. So I said, I'm just going to take some photos here for a few minutes. Does anyone want to come and look at the scenery? And of course, everyone shook their head and said, no thanks, we'll stay in the car. So I got out with a few different point and shoots and I managed to take some really lovely photos in that five or six minutes. And so I'm going to talk to you about three of them here and all three of them feature in every summer. So the first one I had was my um, this dairy robot. So this is a plastic camera with three plastic lenses uh, with a fixed shutter speed, fixed aperture. And I put some Kodak Pro Image 100 in this camera, this toy camera. And I love this next image. It's of the sea stacks. So these are of the sea stacks that I was photographing from the cliff's edge earlier on. Uh, and this is a distant view of them with the bay uh, in the foreground there. I love this image. I just love the colors uh, of it. And it's, you know, this silly image of three uh, three things of the same scene, like every Disdairy robot picture is, but I like it. There's a bit of a vignette on there. The, the top image on the Disdairy robot is always a little bit more overexposed than the bottom images. I don't know why, but yeah, that's the uh, freshwater bay on the Disdairy robot. The next image, as I was taking the image of the, the coast and the, and the sea stacks, I noticed these two girls were climbing along the sea wall and jumping off into the sea and splashing about and then repeating the process. So I kind of walked along the sea wall in the car park and I managed to take a series of images of them just enjoying themselves, having fun. So they're in these wetsuits because it was kind of cold for that time of year. Uh, and the image, the next image in the show notes is one of my favorites. I call it the swimmers. And there's one girl in the water smiling towards her friend and her friend is jumping into the sea. Uh, and I absolutely love that picture. It's just two kids having a great time, you know, at the end of summer, um, splashing about in the water. And uh, in the book, uh, every summer, there's a whole series of images of them climbing along the seawall and then thinking about it and then and jumping into the water. And this image here, I've actually chose as a double page spread in the zine. So you open up the pages and this image spans two pages. It's kind of cropped, of course, because of the aspect ratio. But yeah, I really love that image. The next one is also a double page spread. There's only two double page spreads in every summer and this is the other one. Again, I had to crop it a little bit at the top, but I really love this one as well. It's called Light Leak on the Bay. It was taken with my Olympus XA and Kodak Portra 400 rated at 200. Now with this XA, I'd actually had quite a few roles developed with this camera. I had a role or two developed in Brisbane. I had a role developed after Hong Kong. No problems at all. No light leaks, no nothing. When I got back to Australia and put this Isle of Wight roll of, from the Olympus XA in to get scanned and devved, it came back, quite a few frames came back with light leaks on. And I was really shocked because I didn't know <laughs> the camera did this. And the first image I saw with it was this image here. And I, I love this. I, I just loved the position of the light leak. It's probably a third of the way in the image on the left-hand side. And it's kind of like this light leak kind of goes down the frame onto the water. And I, I just really love it. So I call that light leak on the bay. And again, it's another view of freshwater bay with the sea stacks there in the distance. And there's just one lone swimmer, the very bottom left of the image. I really love that image. 
The last two images in the show notes are just sort of some random places we went to around the island. So the first one is called the Bird Statue, and this was taken in a little village called God's Hill, which is a really nice little lovely village full of lots of tourist shops and, and sort of thatched houses and things like that. And there was just these beautiful hydrangeas with this bird statue. And uh, I was waiting for the kids and the missus in the um, are in the gift shop. And I just took this image and I really like this one. Beautiful colors and texture of the hydrangeas there. And I took that image on my Fujifilm Class S using Kodak Ektachrome slide film. And the last image in the show notes is another one with the Dysteria robot. This one is called the Island Line. And now this was taken in Ride. Ride is one of the bigger towns on the Isle of Wight. And it's where some of the big ferries and hovercrafts and stuff come in. Yes, they have hovercrafts on the Isle of Wight. Uh, so it's really cool. Again, taken on the Dysteria robot. Uh, again, taken with Kodak Pro Image 100. And I really like this. Again, you can sort of see the difference um, between the frames on the Desdere robot. So the top frame is kind of over, not, not overexposed, but it's a little bit more exposure than the bottom frames. And then the bottom right one looks like it's a, a slower shutter speed maybe than the bottom left. I don't know. Goodness knows how the Desdere robot works, but I just love it as a toy camera. It's so, so cool. out the show notes at mattlovescameras.com if you're on instagram come say hi at mattlovescameras or if you fancy getting in touch drop us a line at mattlovescameras at gmail.com So there you go. That concludes my little travel log of the Isle of Wight. It's an absolutely fantastic place to go. And I think next time we go back to England, I, I don't even know when that's going to be, um, but I would love to go back to the Isle of Wight. It's such a beautiful place. So many fun things to see and do. I would definitely recommend a visit to the Isle of Wight. Oh, and just one small footnote. I actually went back to Dimbola, the Julia Margaret Cameron Museum, and I bought that Red Olympus trip. And it's sitting proudly on my bookshelf behind me as a, a souvenir of my time on the Isle of Wight. And one more very small footnote, tonight my wife made scones, lemonade scones with uh, whipped cream and jam. She must have heard me talking about those cream teas earlier. So that brings me to the subject of today's podcast, and that is my first film photography zine every summer. Of course, this is full of images of the Isle of Wight that I've told you about during this episode. So I'll tell you a little bit about the, the zine itself. So it's a full color, perfect bound book. It's 48 pages of color film photography. Now, there's two slightly different versions. For international orders outside of Australia, uh, the paper inside, the 48 pages, is 150 GSM paper. The Australian edition has slightly heavier paper. It's 170 GSM paper. Exactly the same book, exactly the same text, same photos, same everything. Uh, what happened was I actually originally ordered a book with 170 GSM paper, and it turned out to be a little bit too heavy to post internationally. So I had to do another short run of the book with slightly lighter paper. Now, unless you're in the print trade, if you had the two papers in your hand, you probably wouldn't notice a, much of a difference at all. 
The cover is the same on both books. Uh, it's a full sort of colour printed cover. It's printed on silk paper, but the outside of the cover is actually a smooth, soft touch laminate finish. It feels really lovely. It's like a velvety kind of feel. So it's a smooth, uh, soft touch laminate finish. Very, very nice. In the start of the book, there's an introduction about the book from me. Just some of the information I've told you already tonight, but I sort of expand on it a little. Just my motivation for putting the book together and my influences in terms of travel photography and color photography and all that kind of stuff. The book features, or the zine features, a whole load of different anecdotes about the Isle of Wight. So I introduced some sort of sections of the book, uh, like the seaside pier, like the ice cream van, like the coastal path, with funny little stories that happened to us while we were on the Isle of White. Um, hoping, hoping yeah, people who buy the book find them funny anyway. Um, but they are all true stories, just funny little things that happen to us. And some of the stories talk about how I was, you know, why I took photos of a certain place and, and things like that. Now, there are two double page spreads in the book. So there's two times in the book when you open up the pages and there's one photo across the two pages and they look really nice. I'm really happy with the way they turned out. So they look really good. There's full details of the cameras and film stock used for every single photo in the book. So usually under the photo, but sometimes over the page, um, depending on how the layout of the pages, um, there's full details of what camera and what film was used. Now, as well as the film photography zine every summer, there's also three limited edition art prints. So I've had three of the photos from the book done as art print postcards. So they're about the same size as a postcard. One of them is on uncoated paper. So the light leak on the bay photo is printed on uncoated paper. I think it's 350 GSM paper. And then the other two are printed on the same material as the cover of the book. So I think it's silk paper with a, a smooth, soft touch laminate finish. And the other two images are one of the ice cream van, of course, and the other is one of Sandown Pier at dusk. And so they've got a really lovely feel to them. So if you order before the end of May 2020, you will receive all three limited edition postcards, guaranteed. After that time, it just depends on what stock I've got left of the different postcards. The first 20 orders will also receive a random Instax photo from me. So it could be a photo of my dog, Marshall Dalmatian. It could be a photo of a boat at the seaside. It could be anything. Uh, but you'll also, the first 20 orders will also get a random Instax photo from me. Now I'll tell you about the prices for the book. So Australian orders, this is in Australian dollars. It's $24.50 and that price includes shipping, a copy of every summer and three limited edition art print postcards. For US and international orders, this price is in US dollars. It's $17.50 US for shipping internationally, anywhere in the world, a copy of every summer and three limited edition art print postcards. And the final price is for UK orders and it's £14.50 in British pounds. And that price, of course, includes shipping, a copy of every summer and the three limited edition art print postcards. 
So you can find details on how to order on my website, mattlovescameras.com. Hopefully I will be able to sell a few of these books or zines uh, because I, I really would love to do some more of these. I'm really interested in, in hearing what people think about them. I've learned a lot of lessons doing this first zine. Uh, certainly there's been lessons learned around the, the weight of the zines because the weight uh, that they anticipated the zine would how much it would weigh was actually a lot more than they said it would. Uh, I've learned a lot of lessons about how to do double page spreads and um, all that kind of stuff. And I'm actually going to be doing an episode of Matt Love's Cameras very soon, just talking you through the process I went through in creating this zine and things that I think that you should think about. Uh, I know a lot of other people have done this in the community, but I think it's always good to have different points of view and different perspectives. And, and you might actually, you know, learn one or two more things from me that um, you might know a lot of it already, but hey, if there's one or two useful tips that I could give you um, in addition, that'd be fantastic. I'd be really pleased. That's it for this episode of Matt Loves Cameras. I hope you have enjoyed the travelogue of the Isle of Wight. And if you're interested in buying a copy of Every Summer, or if you just want to have a look, a closer look at uh, the layout of the book and stuff like that, head along to mattlovescameras.com. That's it for this episode. Take care. Cheerio. Bye-bye. Cassie NMZ. Take the show notes for the link.